You are listening to the One Church TO podcast. We are an imperfect community who are attempting to help people know God, love people, and make an impact in our city of Toronto, Canada. At the time of this podcast episode, we are currently experiencing the COVID-19 worldwide pandemic. So you'll start to notice in this same feed, we'll be providing some extra episodes alongside our weekend teaching to encourage you throughout the week. But we hope today's teaching is valuable for whatever season or situation that you find yourself in. Welcome One Church TO. So glad you're here on this beautiful day in Toronto and wherever you might be uh, tuning in from, we hope it's beautiful where you are too. Now we're going to talk, as Pastor Dennis mentioned, in this middle of the series called Trust, which is really hard for some of us to do. Trust is a difficult gift we give someone. But we're, we're talking about trusting God with healing, when we need a healing. Now, this is in particular a difficult topic to navigate for a few reasons. I, I think, uh, I want to say from the, uh, just the start of this message, I want you to know, I have seen people healed. I have known of people who have been healed. But this is very hard to navigate because whenever we talk about healing, we have to acknowledge that the supernatural is at work. And the definition for supernatural is this, departing from what is usual or normal, uh, appearing to transcend the laws of nature. I think that healing is in particularly difficult for us to navigate because we are born of, as people of sight, not people of faith. So uh, there, our first instinct is to walk by sight, and I get that. I, I mean, I'm a facts are your friends type person, and walking by sight is our natural disposition in this world. But when we talk about healing, we're talking about faith. And we're going to navigate faith today and what that means and how it's expressed in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, but So I think that's one of the reasons why it's hard because it kind of defies some of our logical, rational pieces and it's requiring us to move in a realm that's a little uncomfortable and maybe not native to us, walking by faith. The second reason is I think there's a bit of cynicism around healing uh, healing is, at least in recent history, belong, it's been the domain of the televangelists. And with it comes audacious promises and claims and, and even strings attached and money attached. And I think it creates a bit of cynicism in a person like me, maybe you, when you hear someone on a screen talking about healing, there can be a sense of cynicism even about it. So I think the, the first challenge that it's a supernatural topic is Obviously, one barrier, the cynicism, but I think the greatest barrier and the hardest thing to navigate about healing is healing is mysterious. I, I said from the outset of this message that I've seen people healed, I've known of people that have been healed, but I'm going I'm to come at you with a lot of real talk today, real talk. And the real talk is simply this, I've seen more people not healed than healed. And for those people, and you might be one of those people, or you might be related to one of those people, that's devastating. It's incredibly hard. So, Jonathan, why bother talking about healing? You gave us three good reasons why it's hard to even have this conversation. Well, if you know anything about One Church TO, you know we're a Jesus-centered church. And when Jesus walked this earth, he healed people. And we're journeying through this year-long series in the Gospel of Luke. And when you open the pages of Scripture, you begin to see that healing was something that even extended beyond Jesus' lifetime here on earth. And something that was available to the church throughout the centuries. That God was still able to do what he did 
when he walked this earth in the form of Jesus today in 2020. And we believe that. So we feel like because of that reason, it's a worthwhile conversation. So I want to start by framing how we need to understand and see healing before we jump to Luke chapter 7 and Luke chapter 8. There's some healing stories there that I know will encourage you as they encouraged me, but also help us to understand how we can just connect with Jesus in this moment. So the first kind of, kind of framing of this is simply this. We need to remember when we're talking about healing that healing is temporary. Healing is temporary. Healing here on this earth is temporary. Um, in other words, I, I feel like when I was a kid, I had a cassette player. Now, if you're a little young, you might need to turn to someone in the room with you right now and say, what's a cassette player? And then you can follow that up with, what's an 8-track? What's a record? There's a lot of things there. But on my cassette player, I had a pause button. And we need to understand that every time we come to Jesus for healing in this life right now, we're asking him to press the pause button. Because eventually, friends, that pause button gets unpaused. And the movie begins to play forward of our lives. You see, friends, the great enemy of our lives, it's, it's larger than sickness and pain and suffering, the things we might be experiencing even now. It's death. Death is the ultimate enemy. We do everything we can to avoid it, but no one, I told you I'd have some real talk today, <laughs> no one can avoid death. But in our modern day, it's so easy to live in a state of denial, isn't it? Because we've been able to relegate death to, that's something that happens in a hospital, or that's something that happens in a retirement home. Uh, you don't have to go back one generation. Death happened in your home. It was very personal. It was very close. But we have uh, an ability to live as if, every day as if we think we're going to live forever. But that's why Psalm 90 verse 12 is so important to us. And it was important to those who read it 3,000 years ago. The psalmist would remind us to teach us to number our days. That all of us have a limited amount of days. If you're here on the Easter weekend, we talked about how we had a birth date. We'll have a death date. And in a moment, we'll talk about we have a resurrection date. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, it's not wise to live your life thinking like you'll just always have days in front of you, that it'll always be in front of you. And the fact is, in our culture, in this era, speaking about death is kind of in bad taste even. Like, I'm sure I just changed the tone of your room wherever you are when I begin to talk about death. Uh, one sociologist, uh, Gregory Goyer, he said it this way. He said, in contemporary culture, death has replaced sex as the new unmentionable. Yeah, I mean, you could talk about anything with anybody almost now. Uh, there seems to be no boundaries. But you bring up death and everything changes. Now, if 3,000 years ago, the psalmist had to remind those people that, hey, your life is limited here on earth, how much more so us, friends. I think the Welsh poet Dylan Thomas, he captures the spirit of her age when he said, rage, rage against the dying of the light. In other words, a, a push back against death and talk of it, ignore it, move beyond it, don't embrace it, have it nothing to do with it. And I think he captured the heart of our age. See, I think though when you read scripture, and so again, real talk, and for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Because God says 
over and over throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, essentially this one truth. Everything in this life is temporary. Can you say that out loud where you are, the word temporary? Everything in this life is temporary except for his love. This is reality, friends. Everything is temporary. Uh, I don't like this. You may not like this, but this is true. Everything that we have will be taken from us. Everything that Jonathan Smith loves and has will be taken from him except for God's love. You know, that's a beautiful thing. God's love goes right into death with us, carries us through death right into the arms of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we need to remember when we talk about healing, and we're going to pray for people to be healed, but remember this, healing is always temporary. It's just pressing the pause button because there's a larger thing happening here, and our days are limited here on earth. The second thing we need to remember is that healing is rooted in a larger story. It's in a larger story. Uh, every time you see Jesus perform miracles in the Gospels, supernatural moments, every time he heals, it's part of a larger story. That healing moment is a demonstration of God's power and authority. Those are important words. His power and authority over this unnatural world. Why do I call it an unnatural world? We call it the natural order. But friends, you, we need to remember and keep this in your mind as we're going through this and as you journey through life. Pain, sickness, and death, they're not natural. They're, they're, they're foreigners to God's creation. They are unwelcomed guests at the table of creation. Our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, invited them into it when they broke their relationship with God, but God never intended the world to operate this way. So every time Jesus is healing, every time he does a miraculous and he provides for people, what's happening there is this is a part of the plan. It's a small story set inside of a larger story of Jesus redeeming back his broken creation, coming to rescue his creation. You look at this illustration of this in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, we visited it a couple months ago in our Jesus Project series. Uh, in Luke chapter 5, a man is paralyzed and he's brought to Jesus to be healed by his friends. And they can't get into the place where Jesus is teaching. So they take him to the roof and they lower him down in front of Jesus. It's a beautiful story. And it, this is what happens. It says, seeing their faith, Jesus sees their faith. They've lowered him down to be touched and healed. Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. And I wish we were in that room. It would have been amazing, epic at this moment. Because the religious people in the room are like, what? What do you mean his sins are forgiven? Only God can forgive sins. Who are you? Blasphemy. And Jesus responds this way. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man, meaning himself, has authority, again, an important word, on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. <laughs> and can you say this word with me? And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up. I would love to have seen this. Picked up his mat and went home praising God. I mean, an incredible, miraculous healing moment. But it's set inside of a larger story. And see, the larger story is this. Jesus is healing this man to demonstrate that he has authority over the brokenness in this world, 
over the suffering and pain in this world, and that he is from God. Did, did you notice that when he saw those men's faith, the, his friend's faith, he forgave the man of his sins? I mean, they came there for a healing, right? They came there for a healing. And maybe you've experienced this when you came to Jesus. You came looking for this, and Jesus gave you this. <laughs> and in this moment, Jesus is showing us the order of what's most important. Uh, he forgives him of his sins before he heals his broken body. Now, was Jesus concerned about his broken body? Of course he was. But he was more concerned about this man's sin. Why? Because death was waiting for this man. And death is cruel outside of Jesus. Death is isolating. We have all these ideas of what happens after death and, and a lot of sensationalized ideas. But listen, separation from God is isolation at a level we've never experienced. Isolated from everything that's good, right, pure, peace. Every bit of God's presence, our friends and families alone. And Jesus saw that lurking in this man's life and he was having none of it. He came to change the destiny of men like this and our destiny so death couldn't hold us down. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. The writer of Hebrews says, since the children, since the children, meaning you and I, are made of flesh and blood, it's logical, it's rational that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. So since he came into our broken experience so he could rescue us from that broken experience, here's how he did it. By embracing death, Taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life. Look at this line. Love how it puts it in the message version. Scared to death of death. Have you been scared to death of death? I mean, that's a great threat. That's why every prognosis, every sickness, we're scared to death of death. And he came to take away that level of fear because he's broken the back of it. See, healing is set inside of a larger story. So healing is temporary here. It's just pressing the pause button. Healing is set inside of a larger story. And here's a third one. Healing is a preview of what is to come. Dr. Van Johnson in our YOLO series helped us to see that every moment that Jesus did something miraculous, it was really like a movie trailer. You know, when you're looking forward to a good movie, a trailer comes out in advance and the trailer shows you what the movie's going to be about and it shows you some highlight moments, right? Well, every time Jesus does something miraculous, it's a preview. It's a preview of what his kingdom is going to be like. When the pause button is undone and the movie's played forward and he restores all of his creation, what happens in that miraculous moment, that will be the norm not the exception in that day and age. In the Gospel of John, chapter 11, there's a beautiful story that illustrates it. Let me, let me set it up. Jesus is at a gravesite. He's at a funeral. And the person that death has grabbed hold of and pulled into the grave is none other than one of his friends, Lazarus. And he's at the graveside and he's weeping. He's crying. He's, he's angry even. He's feeling the full gamut of emotions that we do as humans when we encounter suffering and pain that feels unjustified, wrong. 
Why does it feel unjustified? Because we still have in us the lingering of God's first creation before it got distorted by Adam and Eve's decision to separate from God. We know there's a better way. We know this is not the way it's supposed to be. And in that moment, here's what it says in John chapter 11. The people who are standing nearby said, see how much he loved him because he's crying and he's empathizing in this moment. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? In other words, just like we wonder about healing, why is this person healed and not this person? Justify that. They're, they're upset that how could you let Lazarus die when you healed this blind man? The same narrative that we wonder, wonder about and even ponder in this moment. And Jesus responds this way. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. So that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Again, I would have loved to have been there in that moment when Jesus' healing power went even beyond restoring someone's sight or restoring someone's legs, it reached into the grave and it brought someone back to life again. But we need to remember, this story is a preview of the kingdom of come, to come. This story is temporary in nature. Uh, Lazarus' healing and restoration happened in that moment. It was glorious, but he died again. He did die again. It serves to demonstrate the power of God and his authority over all that is broken in this creation. So every time we feel a healing moment, a provisional moment, all these things that God adds unto us in this life, these are all moments where glory goes to God. He's done what we couldn't do. He's done what we weren't able to do. So the question for you and me even as we head to the end part of our message, will be simply this. Jesus' victory over death and sin. Is that victory in you? Are you in that victory? Just like that paralyzed man, the most important healing we can receive is that spiritual healing. That's not to minimize the physical healing we're going to pray for today, but that is the larger story. The physical one is a smaller story inside of it that serves the larger story. So let's look at it. Two stories found in the Gospel of Luke. The first one is found in Luke chapter 8 that I want to look at. Now in Luke chapter 8, there's this woman uh, and uh, she's healed. It's a miraculous story. But we need to understand in all of these narratives, have you noticed in the Gospel, people with problems and struggles, they came to Jesus and he didn't turn them away. And it was the same then as it is for us. The invitation is to bring our pain, our struggles, our difficulties, our needs to him, even in this moment. But in this moment in chapter 8, there's really two healings that do happen. There's a man named Jairus and his 12-year-old daughter. Now remember the number 12 here. His 12-year-old daughter is in critical need, ready to die. So he comes to Jesus, will you heal my daughter? Jesus goes with them to his house, but on the way to his house... There's an interruption. Jesus stops. He doesn't head there. He stops because there's a drive-by healing that happens in that moment, unexpectedly. And while Jesus is dealing with this woman who's healed, this drive-by healing moment, 
People from Jairus' home come back and says to Jairus, don't disturb Jesus anymore. Your daughter's dead. And Jesus turns to this father, this grieving father in this moment, the angst and anxiety of which some of you may even be able to empathize with. And Jesus turns and looks at him in his eyes and he says these words, don't be afraid. Here's the context. Here's the context. Luke chapter 8, verse 43. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years. Remember that number 12. For 12 years. With constant bleeding. And she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus said. Someone deliberately touched me. For I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fall to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said, this is Jesus speaking to this woman, trembling before him, your faith, and if you're following along in your Jesus Project book, circle that word faith, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This woman is commended for her faith. Now, notice, I, I had you highlight and just remember, the girl, Jairus' daughter, was 12 years old. And this woman has been, this issue of hemorrhaging and bleeding has been 12 years plaguing her life. It's interesting, that number 12, New Testament theologian Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, he, he, he helps us understand that Luke is doing something very significant here. He's placing this, these stories of healing, these important stories of healing in a larger story. In Luke chap, in earlier in the Gospel of Luke, and we explored this in our Jesus Project in, in the month of January, we see Jesus in the temple and he's 12 years old. And he's the moment where he becomes a man and where he begins to just move into what he began to understand as his calling from his father, as the son of God. So 12 years old. So it's connecting it to the larger narrative in the Gospel of Luke. And of course, there's 12 disciples. There's 12 twi tribes of Israel. What, what it is doing is, it's not a, some kind of conspiracy theories of numbers. Luke is doing something brilliant here. He's reminding us all these small stories are set in a larger story. And we forget that so easily, don't we? I think of it this way. You're one person. But when you're part of a church community like One Church to One Church TO, you're part of a corporate group of people. That that one person, your one story in a larger story that's happening here. And your story matters. Your story contributes to the larger story. Every individual matters, but faith is not a matter of just individuals. Faith is also a matter of community. We're adopted into his family. Now, we're one church, but we are just one, we are a small part of the story of God's global church. This church that's stretching around the world of followers of, of Christ. And we're a part of that family because we've been miraculously adopted into his family. So in North America, we're very individualistic. But we need to remember, something happens in corporate community that can't happen with us alone. That's why we keep 
encouraging to get into the chat room or participate in these moments because it's not just about living in isolation by ourselves or consuming a moment. We're participating in this moment together. Something powerful is happening here. So let's explore this woman. This woman is interesting. One characteristic I think we could be said of this woman is she was clearly desperate. If you read Luke chapter 8, you realize she spent all her money trying to get cured. She spent all her money on doctors trying to get better, but nothing worked. She's desperate now. I don't know how long she stayed up at night knowing that Jesus was coming through her town or village, and she thinks to herself, covertly, I'll covertly come up behind because she is unclean in that environment, in that culture and age. There was no Purell back in that day. There was no running water or sanitization. So anyone with issues of bleeding could not touch another person or you'd make them unclean. So she's trying to do it covertly. Just touch his clothing. Not touch him physically. Touch his clothing and I'll be made whole. She's, she's desperate. And I love that Luke does not try to hide her desperation. The fact is, for you and I, we kind of despise desperation, don't we? I mean, when someone's too desperate, we look down on it. Like, she's just too desperate. Or he's being too desperate. It's not an attractive quality. I mean, we despise desperate people. Now, we never say that out loud because it wouldn't reflect well on us. But you know how we judge people, right? You know, he left the church. He sowed his wild oats and he's coming back now because his life's a mess. Oh yeah, sure, come back now, right? Looking for a bailout package now, right? She made terrible relational decisions, got herself in a real mess, ignored your advice, and now she wants to come back? See, desperate people, they, the, every sense of decorum goes out the window. Look at this woman. She jumps the queue. Doesn't she know Jairus was in line first? Jairus is next to be served, healing his daughter. And she jumps the queue. She's not thinking about Jairus. She's not thinking about his daughter. All she sees is her need. Desperation has a way of making us only see our need, right? It's like in COVID-19. What, what, can't, what has come out of us, especially early on? Toilet paper was the big rage, right? People were acting in ways they never act when they're not desperate. When they're not desperate, you need me to pass this to you? Sure, you can, oh, you can have the last package, no big deal. But when they become desperate, all of a sudden they're fighting, they're, they're, they're acting terrible in order to get something because they're in a place of desperate. All decorum goes out the window. And then you think about, do the math. That's a 12-year-old girl. She has her whole life ahead of her. This woman has spent most of her life. And in our world, in our economy, as we get older, we become more disposable. You know, it leaks out of us. Ageism. Well, they had a long life. That's someone's life, though. See, Jesus sees it completely different than we do in our economy. But so many times, I can be the same way. I posture myself like the older brother in the prodigal son's story, and I despise the desperation I see in others who made poor choices and they got themselves into this mess themselves. Friends, you need to hear me now. Jesus doesn't work like us. I don't care what pickle you've got yourself into over the course of this life you're living right now. Jesus welcomes you into his healing presence without prejudice. 
He welcomes you into his healing presence. This is why I love the gospel of Luke because it chronicles people's real struggles and problems and difficulties and often they're the author of it. Often it's things they've done that have provoked the situation that they're in and Jesus comes alongside of them alongside of them in their fear and their confusion. And he gets his hands dirty with the world's problems. And that's what the gospel promises us. A Jesus that is an ever-present help in time of need. You know, it's interesting though. Jesus comes, if you're in the middle of something difficult right now, Jesus would be speaking these words to you and it's a bit of a command. The same words he spoke to Jairus would be this. Don't be afraid. And then depending on where you are emotionally, you look at those words, don't be afraid, and you think, easy for you to say, Jesus. Easy for you to say, Jesus. You're not the one in this hospital bed right now with a prognosis that looks terminal. Easy for you to say, Jesus. You're not the one at this funeral. Easy for you to say, Jesus. You're not the one with this problem or this struggle. You're not the one trying to find work in the middle of COVID-19. Easy for you to say, Jesus. Friends, that's why, as Hebrews said in Hebrews 2, Jesus came, and he came into flesh and blood. He put on human flesh, and he went through what you went through. He was beaten and broken and bruised, and they killed him. So he could come to you today in 2020 and say, child, I know just how you feel. I know exactly how you feel. And I want you to know, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I won't leave you. I'll journey with you. What an incredible promise, friends. Desperation alerts us to our need for a God who's able to come alongside us in the middle of our difficulty. And friends, when you know he's with you, listen to his words. Don't be afraid. There's a, a second and last healing story, and it's found in Luke chapter 7, the previous chapter. And it's about a centurion, a Roman centurion, whose servant is deathly ill. And so he sends people to advocate for him to Jesus, to say, Jesus, will you come and heal my servant? Because this Roman centurion obviously loved his servant. So Jesus agrees and he's on his way to the centurion's home. And on his way to the centurion's home, uh, the centurion sends some friends from his house with this message. It says this, the officer sends some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home for I am not worthy of such an honor. Friends, you're going to see this. This man is full of humility, which is one of the keys for us to experience God's power in our life. It's full of, I'm not worthy of such an honor. And listen to these words, faith-filled words. Just say the word where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm a one that's under authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. He's basically saying, I understand how authority works, Jesus. You are so powerful. Just say the word where you are. You don't even need to be in the same room with my servant and they'll be healed. And look how Jesus responds. When Jesus heard this, he said he was amazed. It's the only time in the Bible it says Jesus was amazed and it was at this Roman. 
Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Faith is your key word there. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. This man is humble. This man is humble. If the woman was desperate, this man is humble. And humility is the key. Humility is the key. He's leaving the results up to God. He was in a position as an occupying force and as someone with authority and power, he was in the position to demand and command. I demand you, Jesus, to come and heal my servant. I command you to do that, and he doesn't. He invites him and he leaves the results with him. Sometimes, friends, I'm not, I need to be more like the centurion. Sometimes if you're like me, I'm praying and asking, but I'm really telling. I know how Jesus must meet this need relationally, provisionally, healing-wise. I know what needs to happen here, Jesus. And I get into a little of demand and command. And you can tell that with a level of disappointment or the level of devastation when something doesn't go the way we knew it had to go. We can, defend, we can understand then how much we've elevated our will over his will. There is such humility with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, when the cross was facing him, he didn't want to go through the cross and he said, nevertheless, Father, your will be done, not mine. I'm willing to journey through it. See, this man's faith is commended here. I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. Just like that woman's faith is commended in Luke chapter 8. This man understands what authority is. And authority has been, throughout our passage, whether Luke 5 or anything, it's been about Jesus' authority. How are you doing at coming under his authority, friends? You know, I was thinking of that this week. I'm one of six kids. Many of you know that. And five of us are a year apart. So it was a chaotic home. And occasionally with four boys, there was conflict. There was all kinds of stuff that happened. And my mom would say these words, when your father gets home and instantly his, the mention of his name ushered his presence. It was as if he was in the room with us. Why? Our behavior changed. Everything changed with the mention of our father's name. Why? Because we feared dad. Not scared of dad, feared him. In this regard, it was a healthy fear. Whenever dad came home, he was automatically the largest person in the house. He towered over dad, he, or my mom, he towered over us. He was six foot something, a large man. He, was, he had the largest vocabulary of any of us. Uh, there was something about his presence that was calming because we knew he was powerful. You know, it's like when you're, when you're a little kid, your dad is your hero because nobody can beat your dad. And he had that, that reverence, that fear that we had for him. But we also loved him. And we, know he, we knew he loved us. Friends, when, when you establish that in a relationship with God, that there's a healthy fear of God, he's the most powerful being you have ever ever cross paths with. And he's the most loving person you will ever cross paths with. That combination in the context of relationship should allow us to find ourselves submitted to his authority and his will. It's desperation and humility together. And maybe then we come to a point where we're able to pray like he did or say like he did, just say the word, Jesus. Just say the word from where you are and I know my servant will be healed. Friends, if you notice here, 
Humility and desperation are key to healing, but they're also key to salvation. It's in this regard, desperation because we know of our own wretchedness. If, if you don't understand your own wretchedness, you'll never be desperate enough to submit to Jesus' authority. I mean, if you think you're good, or, and you may be in a place of great strength and power and health and everything, and that's great, wonderful. But friends, there's a toxicity in all of us that lurks below the surface. Sometimes getting in touch with that only to recognize how desperate we are, we need a savior. But it's also humility, humble, because we can't work our way out of this thing. It's something beautiful coming at the end of yourself and at the end of yourself, you realize there's Jesus waiting for you to come to that conclusion with arms wide open. But in all of this narrative, faith has been the key, friends, to activate and connect with God. Faith is trusting in Jesus and his work. And did you notice that you might say in this season, I need a physical healing, but I can't get to the church. I, I can't get to have one of our elders lay hands on us. I, I have all of these barriers, friends. Is that a problem for Jesus? That woman never even touched his body, just, just his clothing. He never touched her. The centurion's servant, he didn't even go to her, but his presence was that powerful, friends. Jesus is right where you are right now. His presence is there. Now, uh, Jonathan, I don't have the kind of faith, though, to believe for healing. I don't have that level of faith. I don't have that quantity of faith. Friend, friends, 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 friends. Uh, even if you have the smallest bit of faith, the weakest bit of faith. I, I love how Pastor Tim Keller puts it. He says this, strong faith in a weak object fails. But even weak faith in a strong object succeeds. It's our simple, even finite, small mustard seed level of faith in Jesus, the all-knowing, ever-powerful, all-ever-present God of the universe that allows our little bit of faith to become something amazing. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. He is your way maker. He's the one that makes the way for us. We're glad you joined us for today's teaching. If you're listening in right now because your church isn't able to meet, we welcome you. And we ask that you keep supporting your church community with all the engagement and giving options that they have. If you need any assistance in this unprecedented season, please let us know by email at care at onechurch.to or by texting the word CARE to 416-291-9575 or even just giving us a call at the same number. All other events and programming can be found at onechurch.to slash connect.